All right, aspiring authors. Today I have a really fascinating interview with Callie Smart for you. And this is a little bit different than what I usually do on the podcast. As you know, I usually interview other authors to give you insights into what's working for them, you know, what people who are in the trenches today are doing in order to sell their books, that sort of thing. Now, Callie's a little different. She is not a published author. She is somebody who has undergone what is called narcissistic abuse. And the reason that I wanted to have this on the podcast is that I honestly believe that most people do not have enough insight into human behavior. And I don't mean authors, I mean people in general. Now, I have dealt with someone who is a narcissist in my life, um, a a few people actually, (laughs) and it's more prevalent than you would think. And understanding it is not only important when it comes to making sure that you are not being abused by a narcissist and that nobody else is, you know, like any kind of abusive behavior, it's good to learn the signs of it so that you recognize it if it ever comes into your life. But I also think it's a really valuable conversation to have when it comes to our writing, because really we are crafting characters who need to be very human. And especially if you are, so there's really three major ways in which this might apply to your writing. If you're writing someone who is being abused by someone, you know, narcissistic Narcissistic abuse is generally very um, verbal, and I mean, it certainly can be other things, um, but it's very manipulative. So if you're writing your main character as being a victim of something like that, this will really, really help you a lot. But I also think that most villains, by very definition, are very narcissistic. So learning the kinds of things they do, the kinds of behaviors they exhibit, um, whether you're writing a villain or maybe just an antagonist of some kind, can really be helpful in your writing. So Kelly and I are going to have a conversation about this. Um, It was quite long. We talked for over an hour, and I know that a lot of you have told me lately that you prefer the shorter episodes, so I'm actually going to divide this into part one and part two. So we'll have part one today and then part two next week, okay? And I really hope you get a lot out of this. Just think about how you could apply this to your stories, especially your villains, or if you're writing a character who is maybe um, a victim of abuse, I really think that this is going to be a really fascinating conversation for you. Okay? Let's hop in. Hi there. Do you want to write fiction that readers gush about, but you can't figure out how to fill in the beginning, middle, or end of your story? I can help with that. Do you struggle to flesh out character or plot or to stick with your story long enough to finish it? I can help with that. Once your book is written, are you totally clueless about marketing? Do you find yourself Googling how to market a book or how to make money on fiction? I can help with that. Welcome to the Prolific Author Podcast. You know you're meant to write fiction, but you can't seem to nail down the skills or processes that make it simple and repeatable, not to mention fun. So you wait around for the muse to show up, try to force your story into a template or outline, or take months, if not years, to discover your story. Plot twist, there's a better way. Hi, I'm Liesl, USA Today bestselling author, story psychologist, writing craft geek, Christian, and story clarity coach. After 10 years of trying to master fiction using the old industry standard writing advice, I still felt lost. I finally learned what fictional storytelling and the human template are really about. Humanity, emotional connection, and serving our readers by giving them relief through vicarious experience. Imagine learning how to flesh out your characters, plot, world, and theme with such definition and clarity that every story you ever write lands with readers and makes people go, wow, now there's an author. Imagine knowing how to drill down to the heart of your story to learn what it's really about and tell the unique story that only you can tell. 
so that you can get more readers, more downloads, more royalties, and of course, more fiction writing success. This is the podcast for you. We are prolific authors. All right. Welcome back to the Prolific Author Podcast. I am here today with Callie Smart, who is, you know, usually I interview other authors and, um, you know, industry experts who have something to, uh, you know, give to my listeners who are mostly fiction authors. But today, um, Kelly, we're, we're kind of doing something a little different. And I'm really, really excited about it. So um, how are you doing today, Kelly? Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. It. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited to have you here because this is a little bit of a different um, topic that not only have I not talked about before on the podcast, but I don't hear other authors talking about it. So um, why don't you start by introducing yourself and telling us who you are and what you do? Yeah, that sounds great. So my name is Kelly Smart. Um, I am out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm a mom of two uh, 11-year-old and a 15-year-old, and I've worked in nonprofits for over 20 years. I run my own nonprofit called Print the Love, where we travel around the world and give away photographs. And really that um, nonprofit that I founded came out of my experience with narcissistic abuse. And mm. um so yeah, we'll talk more about that for sure. But um, I'm also now remarried and, um, and to not a narcissist this time, thankfully, <laughs> uh, so I can speak to, to both those things. And yeah, so very full with family and, and traveling the world and um, kids and my, probably my best friend who I spend the most time with in the pandemic is my rescue puppy, Maisie. So uh. <laughs> Oh, that sounds, that sounds lovely. I love that it's print the love. That's such a sweet um, title mm -hmm. for a company. So um, the reason that I wanted to have Kelly on today is because I have had some experience with narcissism in other people. And I feel like it's something that people are becoming more educated about, but overall people, you know, when you are trying to explain narcissistic behavior to someone who has never thought about it or dealt with it in a big way, they don't know what you're talking about and it's really difficult to convey it to them. So it's something that I think people need to be more educated about. And then in terms of, you know, authors who listen to my podcast, we're always having to create characters and especially villains we know tend to be very narcissistic. So I think it was a good thing to educate people on so that they can use it as a, just a tool in their toolbox when they're creating characters. So um, let's talk about that. I mean, narcissism, anybody in the world can act in a narcissistic way. You know, if I'm, sure driving down the street and I want to be first, you know, and kind of have a road rage thing going on, then I'm being narcissistic at that moment. But that doesn't mean that I'm a clinical narcissist. So can you kind of talk about what the difference is or, or how you define it? Sure. So to be sure, I am definitely someone who is just coming from a lived experience and my own research. So I'm not an expert as a therapist or any way, but have lived through this. And I, I do truly feel like if you haven't lived through it, it's really hard to understand in any abusive mm -hmm. situations. So right. narcissism, as I see it, is really a spectrum, right? Every human is narcissistic at some point, right? We are out for ourselves um, mm -hmm. at some point, right? So there's, there's, it's, it's this, um, yeah, gradual, line of and on one far end is very altruistic in terms of being for a hundred percent for other people which is very rare and the other <laughs> side is is um very very narcissistic and um 
And yeah, then you see more of the sociopath, right, on the other side, where there's absolutely no empathy on any level. Now, people on the narcissism kind of spectrum fall in all kinds of places, and that's what's really hard. And I think what was also helpful to me is there's actually a big difference between um, covert narcissism and non-covert narcissism. So Hmm. covert narcissists are people that you would on the outside never ever see you wouldn't see them cutting off people in traffic you wouldn't see them acting in a grandiose kind of way like i'm the best you know that the kind of charismatic um person that you see maybe in movies or books and so in my experience i was married to a covert um narcissism which is someone who in the public eye or even out to our friends and family was always so gregarious and wonderful and the best I almost describe as like a camp counselor personality you know like Mm -hmm. always so fun and always so kind and compassionate and um but at home it was a different Mm. person and um there was there's also kind of a um saying in the narcissism support world uh, about dog whistling. So I don't know if you've heard this about this. And I feel like that explains a lot. Um, So even in public, these people who know you very, very well, and obviously they're not abusing you all the time. Sometimes they're extremely wonderful in the cycle of abuse. There's and maybe uh, hopefully if, if, it, if an author is working on putting in a character who's experiencing bu- abuse in any capacity, emotional or physical, that there is this cycle, right? That keeps mm-hmm. you on the loop where they are love bombing you and it's everything is wonderful and you're wonderful and you're like, this is the best relationship ever. This guy is great. There's nothing wrong, right? Yeah. And then some incident happens and there's either an explosion of anger or you know silent treatment or you know can look lots of different ways and then you're like oh my gosh I what is happening to me and you sort of start to rethink these things and then they come back and love bomb you and then you're like back and you're like yeah it's not so bad but they're changing you know so that kind of thing but the dog whistle analogy that that is being used is even in public circles there are things that they know will just hurt you and no one else will notice. But in public situations, they will continue to manipulate, um, change, kind of pick at you in ways that are really, really mean or really, really hurtful. And nobody else knows. So then there's where that kind of like, you feel a little, um, it's where the kind of crazy making comes in. And they'll, they'll, right accuse you of being crazy for sure and then you start to feel it yourself because you're like no one else is noticing everyone else thinks this person's the best they're so nice they would never do anything but they will continue to do these little things that only you know about like a dog whistle that only you can hear even in public settings so Mm. it it really is a really tricky subject um because they're there, um, there's, there's so much to it, but it's almost hard to put into words sometimes, at least for me as a, as a person who's lived through it. But once I knew the name 
of what was happening. And once I started to discover the patterns of it, and then I saw that other people experienced this as well. And then it was, I can't even tell you how freeing this was to, right. to say like, it, it, what is happening to me? I feel like nothing is making sense. Um, something else I kind of say is it's like playing a chess game of life. And mm-hmm. in my case, I have children. So it's really for like either the custody of your children or taking care of your children, or really it's for your life, right? Of your financial right. st- stability, your mental stability, your everything. And they're like, you have to play chess to be able to have these things. And you don't know how to play chess, mm. but you're in like the championship of your life and the rules keep changing. You can move this person, this you know piece forward. Well, now you can't move it back. But last time I could move it forward. And my, you know, it's like, that's right. it feels like you're caught in a game that you don't know any of the rules and then the rules keep changing. Oh, yeah. So I, <laughs> I know that's really hard. Like, how do you write that? I right. Don't so hopefully this is, this is helpful in a little bit, but what else would be helpful? No, no, it is. And I, I actually really like that analogy. Um, and I, I kind of want to ask you too, I mean, when you have children involved, was any of it ever directed at them or were you feeling like you were protecting them from it or they were seeing you as a victim? I mean, how, what was that dynamic like? So, um, when, when all of this kind of came to the surface, they were very little. So I think they were two and five. And so, I mean, I believe that children are way, way smarter than we, we ever give them credit for. So I'm sure that they know or did know something was off with their parents. Um, but as they've continued to grow up and now they're, um, preteen teen, they have had their own experiences. And I really try Mm. as a parent not to put my experience onto them to say, um, you know, if they ever do want to talk about something, I definitely have tools and resources and really help them to grow that boundary muscle. Does that make right. sense? Like the, yes. Yeah. That's really what's going to protect you. So, cause you said you have some experience and mm-hmm. really when you, if you can cut off someone hundred um, percent, that is, that's the best. That's the yeah. absolute best for your healing, for your, because the, they're not going to get better. I mean, it, this isn't something um, that they're going to improve from. They, they typically right. get worse and worse and worse over their lifetime. Um, and so as, <laughs> as, um, as they, they grow up, um, I hope that they, you know, they can get the choice if they want to continue that relationship or not. Um, I unfortunately still have to continue to have the relationship because we share children together. And the greatest thing that has helped me in moving forward in my healing is boundaries and having very strict boundaries because these people, they, you know, it's not just the, the part about that they're addicted to drama is true right? Right. They, it's called narcissistic supply. They want your attention. They want, they just, they want, want, want to know that they're important to you. And if, if you're not going to give them positive feedback, then they'll take negative feedback. You know, it's, it's this right. continual cycle of wanting 
to um, know you, be around you, see you. Hovering can be a big part of it. I've experienced it where they'll just stop by a lot or he moved closer to us because mm -hmm. he wanted for the children, of course, but, of course, yeah. um, but it wasn't necessary in any way. So this kind of continually me, 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 me. And if you don't have good boundaries, then um, they'll eat away at that. And I can tell you there's so many ways in which He's tried to get around my boundaries. So in a, in a state of healing, when you're really just trying to get your feet under you on some kind of like stable ground of like reality, like you are a good person. You are strong. You are, because there's a lot of this abusive, you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not a good mother. You're not a good wife. Why would anyone want to be with you? You don't know how to do this, you know, which are all 100% lies, but mm -hmm. when it was your best friend who previously said, you are wonderful, you're the best, you're my soulmate, you're, you're the one for me for years and years, and then they kind of flip the script on you, you get like, wait a second, so maybe they are right. Mm -hmm. So when you kind of start to get yourself, and hopefully you surround yourself by people that um, can speak truth to you, like, mm -hmm that person is not right. You are fun. You are beautiful. You're enough. You're a great worker. You're a great mom. You're a good person. Now, nobody's perfect, right? So I'm not saying that, right. but these, you know, you are enough and you don't need to continue to do those things. So when, once you start to get your legs under you, like your sea legs back on land, right? And then you, you're kind of like, okay, I'm going to put up some boundaries. Like I'm not going to take any texts that's a you know otherwise mm -hmm. i'd get 40 texts a day i'm just being honest right um they could be good for a month and then one day they would be awful and super super abusive so but then something happens where my daughter has to go to urgent care well can you just turn on your text because i really need to tell you and get hold of you and get be able to call you so then i'll turn on the text right and they mm -hmm. kind of gets through that little fence that i actually set up for myself to protect myself and while the that little door is open then will come abuse 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 so mm. I've just learned that there's all these little tricks because he knows I really care about my children and I would do any foreign thing for them so I right. think even if you're writing about something they always find the little workaround to get through you being strong and you protecting yourself and creating safe places. Like I said, my home, like my home is a safe place for me and he'll stop by, but he brings the puppy. So then the kids are like, oh, can't dad just come in with the puppy? Mm -hmm. I don't want him to come inside. That's not, that. that is my safe space. And then I look like the bad guy, right? Right. You know, and so I'm like giving very simple examples, but um, it can be very much com more complicated than that. But yeah, just how to continue to come into my life. Um, and if I don't have those really firm boundaries, they, they're never going to go away. So as when we're kind of talking about my kids, hoping to give them the tools, right. <laughs> the boundaries so that they can have their own choices of saying, just because it's your parent that you can choose to have a relationship with them or not. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I don't know if that's in, 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 if this resonates with any of your experience <laughs> at all either. Um, yeah, no, it, it does. Um, so I think, I mean, I kind of made a couple of notes about what you were saying there, but for one thing, I think it's important to note is that they're very diabolical. You know, mm -hmm. most of us who are normal and not narcissists, we're not thinking four steps ahead to try and trap someone and make them look bad. But that's what narcissists do. Like they really are sitting around thinking about that, you know? And so I think it's kind of like, we, we've actually seen this a lot lately in the world, you know, and with the whole geopolitical and a lot of things that are changing and coming out. And people like to say, well, people aren't that evil. They don't actually sit around doing that. It's like, no, no, you don't because you're an, you're an awesome person, but there unfortunately are people in the world that do sit around doing this. So, I mean, I'm assuming that you've experienced that, that he, you can tell he's been sitting around thinking about ways to do this. I mean, it's, it's just what you said, thinking about ways to get around your boundaries because he knows your weaknesses and he knows you. Right. Yeah. So kind of what I've discovered, and again, this is just from my lived experience. I'm sure you could have a, a trauma coach on here or a, a narcissist <laughs> uh, expert. Um, but yeah, as somebody who, who has lived through it, I don't know how much he sits around thinking about it. I think at least in my case, um, there are definitely some forethought, but it is much more reactive. Okay. Um, and it, and what I've come to conclude that it is very much shame-based in terms mm. of when that person feels shame, that the blame hundred percent goes to everyone else except them. Right. right? When I am, looking out for my kids or myself, or honestly, I'm not even thinking about him. I'm just making a decision about my own finances or my own autonomy as a woman. He thinks it's about him. Mm -hmm. He thinks that whatever decision I've made is about him and, um, and that he feels bad. I mean, I think there are narcissists out there definitely that have absolutely no empathy whatsoever. They're just not capable of it. Um, they kind of have an empty shell. Mm -hmm. um, but I do like the spectrum. And maybe I'm still kind of in this, like, I do feel like there's a part of them because you've seen the best in someone. Right. And I can't believe that that was nothing. Right. So I have seen really, really, really goodness come out of this person. And either that was a hundred percent someone acting, which I just, mm -hmm. I can't see it, or there is some good there and that he does deep, deep down feel bad about what he's done or what he's said and knows it's really crappy and really yeah. terrible. Now, whether he's consciously acknowledged that or not, but anything that's shame that comes up like he didn't do something good as a dad or he didn't anything that I could maybe point out as a small flaw is a hundred percent my fault. And he, and he has to tell me first how bad I am before it ever comes to him. So it right. is kind of this reaction, which then leads people to walk around on eggshells. And that's something mm -hmm. I've talked to my kids about as well is, you know, I'll have to wait, you know, months until I ask a specific question or I have a specific request in terms of like, can we go on a vacation? Can't just ask that anytime. You have to be very strategic about when things are calm and peaceful mm. and he wants to be helpful, right? And um, so you're walking around eggshells because you don't want to disturb the bear. 
and that's that's I guess more of the abuse that I occurred it is more reactive mm -hmm. um but I'm sure there's some things that he knew about months ago and he's planning how he's going to prepare for it when it comes out because everything always comes out right so yeah. that diabolical part of it um because I have been I have taken um I've been a part of a number of support groups listened to a lot of podcasts people been to a lot of therapists and in terms of of, of narcissistic abuse and um and there, there is very key patterns that these people follow. Um, and one of the things that they say is that it's really, they try to mirror the person that they want to be like. So I don't know if you've heard this kind of mirroring part, at least in relation in, um, maybe it is child adult relationships i don't know i can't speak to that as much as a romantic relationship but be really mirroring that person so that's why you kind of fall in love with almost yourself because they really try to be like you and that's mm -hmm. also why you see so many amazing wonderful men and women on both sides get sucked into this because narcissists look for the best the strongest the most creative you know, these are like the best, right. like, how did they get into a relationship like this? You know, it just like blows your mind and you're like, they're so independent and aware. They're not just, and it's because those people seek them out because they want to be like that. And mm -hmm. not, I mean, you could some probably say it's like a parasite, right? But it's also like a mirroring of they will like me if I'm like them. So they kind of like all the things you like and they act the way you act and if mm. you're comfortable with yourself and you like yourself I think for me I was kind of living in this world because I was married for 10 years before this kind of blew up with an affair so that's kind of where I started to look much more deeply into it but um prior to that I was like this is this is great this is wonderful this is you know this seems to be good because I think he was mirroring me in so many different ways um, of how to approach life. Um, but I did ask him after kind of, we had decided to separate, you know, in a moment of clarity, you know, I'm gonna have some real trust issues. Like mm -hmm. what the heck happened to you, right? right. All these moments of clarity. Now, again, maybe you'd, I'm still in this kind of, I trust people. There's some goodness in all people you know, which I've slowly, I used to be more like that, but now less and less. And he said, I was trying to be someone else. And I said for 10 years. And he's like, yeah, someone else that that's not me. Interesting. And so it's like, can somebody really fake it for that long? Mm. Is that possible? Were there red flags? hindsight's 2020 of course right. right um yeah there were for sure and but i think this mirroring part and kind of what you talked about about um diabolical stuff it is a worldview difference that's what i've i've also come to conclude that they just have a completely different worldview than people like yourself and i that people are generally good right 
they come more from a worldview of um, that everyone is out to get me. And that does come from usually trauma at a young age of their own parents or their own mm. experiences. And it was a coping mechanism to just put up this shell of themselves. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot of reasons for that too, but I saw that myself, to be honest. Um, we, the, there was an affair. That's a whole other story. Um, that's very um, interesting and fascinating. He told me from day one and I kind of watch the train wreck happen versus find mm. out later so interesting right because he told me every last detail which is traumatic in its own right but um right. So why would someone tell you all the details other than to just hurt you right 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 but um but I did meet with a counselor after the affair had been going on for quite a while tried to get rid of her tried to end the relationship anyways and she said, I want you to read this book. Um, it's kind of like intro to verbal abuse relationship, kind of the standard. It was from like, I think the eighties or nineties and like verbal, I'm just not, this isn't me. Two yeah. chapters in, I said, this is me. And this is me before the affair. Cause the affair had kind of brought out this whole other side of um, this narcissism and this kind right. of emotional abuse, like she's better. She's this, she's that, this is your fault. The affair is your fault. Mm. And that book really goes into, I can get the name of it for um, your listeners if you'd like, yeah, but for sure. um, I feel like that would be a really good book to, and it's a short book to really kind of see the difference in worldview and how you can possibly be in a relationship like this and not even really know it mm -hmm. because my worldview was um I would always approach him I thought it was always me like in terms of well I just asked him right after dinner so that's why he was upset that was kind of my fault I should have waited he had a busy day right like everything without even thinking about it was I would walk on these eggshells Right. I thought I was doing it because I had the worldview that generally the, the world is full of very good people that are always wanting to do good and do their best. Whereas he was coming at the world as everyone's against him and even coming to the conclusion that I was against him. And, mm -hmm. um, and then he kind of turned into this, this monster that I, that good side of him I feel like would be so disappointed in, and still is right. And still, still mm -hmm. recovering from this shame. Right. But again, this is, this is one person stories. So I just, yeah. Yeah, no, no. I, I think there's a lot of value in what you're saying. And actually I was glad that you talked about that because I was going to ask next about the difference between verbal abuse and narcissistic abuse. And is there a difference? Are they both part of a bigger umbrella or yeah, so I think, gosh, that would be a good question to deep dive into. Um, I think narcissistic abuse is under the bigger umbrella of verbal abuse. It's a, okay. it is a very specific. It is this very manipulative mm -hmm. twisting of the truth of the gaslighting um, that the verbal abuse can as horrible it is can be just much more straightforward mm -hmm. you are this 
you did this, 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 you know, and it's, um, whereas the narcissism takes it to a weird twisted level that makes you question everything. Um, Not to say that if you told me you're a terrible mom, and then that was the only statement and he yelled at me about that and told me to get the f out and you know what that would be traumatic too right mm-hmm. you're be near this and that stuff like that that would be verbal abuse and terrible but when it turns narcissistic when this person twists your reality you know the whole idea that he still believes that the divorce is my fault right you no know, and is seriously convinced of that because it took he started the affair in about 18 months of finally deciding he's, you know, my husband has a girlfriend, you know, Kelly, you got to decide what are you going to do here? Um, Then yes, I'm the ultimate one that said, okay, I have to let go for myself because how, you know, you've been so mean to me. I, I, how can I even let myself be that way? I would never let my best friend, my kid, anyone go through something like that, yet I continue to let myself. So right. um, yeah, it's this this twisting of the truth. And um, that's why it's kind of hard, hard for me it to assume, but it is different. Okay. So yeah, um, it's like the, um, it's just, I think it's just the, mind games element, right. That just kind of makes you feel like you're crazy. Like you were saying before, you know, and it's, it is, it's hard to nail down because, um, I think the, and this is something that I experienced. I, you know, I I have someone in my life who is, and I would talk to other people about it and it almost makes it seem like the person going through it is just complaining because there's not anything super direct. Like you said, it's not direct verbal abuse. It's not direct physical abuse it's something they do. And it just makes it sound like you're kind of complaining about a situation that's in and of itself relatively small, but it's when they're doing that over and over and over again and making you feel like you're nuts, you know, that, that it, and it's hard, it's hard to explain that to something to somebody because it's not a concrete thing that they're doing. You know, it's all, it's all just, I don't know, psychological, I guess. Okay. That's where we're going to end for today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and that you'll join me next time for the second part of it, which we're going to dive into more of the same stuff and talk about a few different aspects of things. And yeah, I hope that this is something that you can apply to your writing and you can see how it can really affect the way that you write your characters, especially the villains. All right. So I'm just going to let you chew on that for the rest of the week and we'll be back with the uh, B part of the conversation next time. All right. Everyone have a great week of writing. Before you go, if you found value in this episode, can you do me a solid and share it with other authors you think might benefit from it? Remember, the rising tide lifts all boats. Also, if you haven't yet, would you be willing to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts? It's the only way for me to know that you're enjoying the podcast, and it helps Apple recommend it to other authors like you who might benefit from it. Finally, if you haven't already, hop over and join the prolific author community on Facebook. Inside, authors network, ask questions, and I often do teaching via Facebook Lives. Thank you so much for listening today. Happy story crafting this week. And remember, there is always a market for awesome.